0: Hi, I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 94 of That's a Good Question. Roe is overturned. Should Christians impose their morality on others? Welcome to this episode of That's a Good Question. Uh, The last 30 hours or so have been pretty eventful. Mm, Yes. Just yesterday, the Supreme Court released its Hobbes decision, uh, which overturned the 49-year-old precedent of Roe versus Wade. So as of right now, abortion is no longer a constitutional right in our country. So today we want to talk about what that means practically, and then spend some time discussing when and why Christians should seek to impose our version of morality on others. Uh, You know, since often we're asked, who are you to cram your morality down my throat? So let's start with talking about some practical effects of this court's
1: decision. Well, as we've said in uh, past episodes, the overturning of Roe, which was then only potential when we Mm -hmm. would talk about in the past, it's now actual, it doesn't result in abortion being outlawed throughout the country. Uh, Instead, it turns the decision back to the individual states to decide whether it will be allowed, and if it is allowed, under what conditions. Most estimates that I've seen say that the 50 states will divide almost evenly between those who outlaw abortion and those that allow it. Some states have in place what are called trigger laws. In fact, our state of Michigan has one going back to 1931. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. The trigger laws were put in place more recently in different states in anticipation that if Roe is overturned, mm. then, um, then these laws would go into effect that outlaw uh, or severely restrict mm-hmm. abortion. Uh, in Michigan, though, we have this law that goes back to 1931 that is still on the books. And so now that that law can legally go into effect unless some action is taken. Now, it's been appealed, so it's not going into immediate effect. The Michigan legislature, like other state houses around the country, they're going to need to decide what the law in their particular state is going to be. Now, the Right to Life organization in Michigan has always been very, very strong. Even though we have a pro-abortion governor and we have our two senators are also pro-abortion, But it's been a very pro-life state, actually, and pro-life in Lansing, our our capital. So it will not surprise me, then, if uh, even though we have those uh, Democrats and pro-abortion folks in high places, that they are actually able to make some moves with the wiggle room that's allowed now Mm -hmm. uh, with the overturning of Roe. I do wonder
0: whether there's going to be violence. Can I I ask for clarification? When you say wiggle room— Uh, Not really wiggle room, I mean, free latitude. Really, the legislature can do what legislatures do now.
1: That's correct. (laughs) Right. It's up to the legislature.
0: And I I say it that way on purpose because that's been our complaint for all this time is, uh, you know, you've got a court then effectively legislating the decision for every state. Yes. Yes,
1: exactly. Now, there was another, this is unrelated to abortion, but there was another decision that came down today Mm -hmm. that was released right before the abortion one that was on gun rights. Mm. And the the people who (laughs) want to see fewer guns are actually saying, and they did exactly the same thing with the guns that we've been complaining about on the other side Mm. with abortion for all these Mm. years. Mm -hmm. And that is they've made it a constitutional right now in very clear terms to bear arms Meaning you can you have the right to conceal and carry. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's funny how that complaint yeah. goes yeah. both ways, depending on the decision and who's making it.
0: Yeah, and I this is not the subject of this podcast, but I could see the the response from pro gun lobby being, "Well,
1: that is expressly stated in the Constitution." Yeah, I know. I, know. So so that's not a small matter, right? For right. sure, yeah. But I I do wonder now, what's going to happen? Are we going to have violence uh, as people react to what has been a right for over a generation? And now it's being taken away Mm -hmm. by an unelected group of judges. Mm -hmm. So you can hear the same kind of complaint (laughs) that we're saying, those unelected judges, you know, it's similar to how, you know, for all of these decades, we've complained about unelected judges in 1973 reversing the laws of 50 Mm -hmm. states on abortion and making it a right. And now the court's taking it away—something that had been a right. So it's not—it will not surprise me if we have certainly a lot of protests, which is fine. But mm-hmm. it won't surprise me if there's some violence. In fact, uh, already today, uh, and in recent weeks, there have been some attacks on crisis pregnancy centers. Yeah, heard about this. And those. just this week, in again our state of Michigan, one of our congressmen, a Republican congressman, pro-life had his office uh, mm-hmm. atta- vandalized, and right next to uh, his office is a crisis pregnancy center, and that also was was vandalized. So it would be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, so so
0: since 1973, no state could outlaw abortion okay. and for a very long time not even really restrict mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it meant that pro-life politicians could say whatever they wanted, yes. really, speak from very strong terms against mm-hmm. abortion, which would endear them to us yes. conservative yes. voters, yes. Um, because they knew they really wouldn't be required to put their actions where their mouths were. Yeah. Uh, but now their positions are going to have real-world consequences uh-huh. because now they can't just talk about it. Mm-hmm. They can vote mm-hmm. about it and enact laws to do away with it completely. So we're going to be looking <coughs> to them to do that.
1: Exactly right. And I've been wondering for a good while since this Dobbs decision has been teed up at the Supreme Court. And mm-hmm. we've all been waiting for it to come down. Oral arguments happened in something like December. And at the oral arguments, it really did seem like the justices were, many, the majority were inclined to overturn Roe. Then we had the leaked decision, right. remember, and that turned out to be the decision that came out today. That did do away with it. And so for all of that time now, you're thinking, what are, I'm thinking, what are these pro-life politicians going Mm -hmm. to do now that they have to stand up and be counted? Now, I see that today, uh, just today, um, Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence, who wants to be president in Mm -hmm. 24, Mm -hmm. said that the decision, uh, that after this decision now, he favors a national law from our Congress in Washington, D.C. to outlaw abortion mm. in all 50 states. So he's not satisfied with just leaving it up to the various states. Mm. No, this is something that should be outlined in all, all 50 states. On the other hand, President Biden made a statement just hours after the decision saying Congress should make abortion legal in mm. all 50 states. Mm-hmm. So now that the issue's out of the courts, it's into the hands of elected officials, it's going to be fought out at the state and at the national levels as well. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh,
0: you would be in favor of a national ban, or for allowing each state to make
1: its choice. Wouldn't you? Do you see any wisdom? Well, you know, in? I I think a pro life position requires that we seek to have the taking of innocent human life outlawed. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere in our country, not just in some states. Yeah. So I mean, I agree. Yeah.
0: But then, so you think about, uh, you know, you realize that this is quite an imposition yeah. of what we believe. To be, you know, to impose on people who you said have been under the impression that right. this is a right, right, millions who don't agree with us. Right. So it raises the question that I said in the title of this podcast uh, what issues do we do this with? Yeah. Since we don't try to put into law everything that we think is, you know, a matter of right and wrong. Right. Uh, as pastors, for example, <laughs> we believe that it's right to go to church on Sundays, yeah, to right. come and worship the Lord, yeah. but we don't try to get that enacted as a law. Yeah, uh, so that everyone's required to do that. So let's mm-hmm. talk about why some things fit this category and others don't. Yeah. yeah, it's approach. a big,
1: big, big issue, isn't it? It really mm-hmm. is. And, but my answer is, I don't mind imposing morality that people have, just by virtue of being people. That they mm-hmm. have, just by virtue of who we are. And I'll explain. I don't, in my mind, saying that this is something that, by virtue of being human. <laughs> you are to do and you are to adhere to, and mm-hmm. I don't mind imposing that. In order to legislate you have to attend church on Sunday, everyone would need to have a Bible, and really those people would need to be Christian to understand and to desire you know, doing that. And that's because those things are found in what we call special revelation. Mm-hmm. Special revelation is you know, revelation given to a specific audience with specific information. The Bible fits under special or specific revelation as opposed to general revelation. Mm -hmm. Other things then are known to human beings, people, not by specific revelation like in the Bible, but by general revelation in the form of conscience that all people have and creation. And both of those tell all people at least some things about right and wrong. There is a, then, and this is what it's called by philosophers and theologians, natural law, Mm -hmm. to which all people have access. They all have access. Why? Because it's general. It's in general revelation in creation and conscience, and to which, then, they should be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a a dialogue this week with an author who contacted me because she had read some quotes from me in in an article. And she was asking about, because the article said that I see abortion as, quote, inherently biblical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so she wrote and said, so tell me about that. And we had a a kind back and forth about my views on abortion and why I take a strong stance on it. And I I said this to her in one of my replies. I said, all humanity should be held accountable to natural law, which by definition does not require a text because Mm -hmm. it's in nature. I mentioned specifically protection of human life, sexuality, and marriage. And she responded by asking, Now, how universal in reality are the principles you name? In rootedness in creation, you appear to invoke a doctrine of natural law, but that seems to be inherently religious, she says. You're construing that creation to be divine, absolutely authoritative, and, she says, interpreted through the Jewish and Christian lens, right? there is certainly no universal agreement on what life or heterosexuality or marriage is or should be. She said, then she went on to show how different cultures around the world handle all of those, life and sexuality and, and marriage. Yeah, so you're, so you're saying you don't mind
0: imposing something that should be universally understood, uh-huh. understood and observed. Yeah. But she's saying it's not universally God. observed right. and proves that it's not universally understood, right? That's what so, she's saying. Yeah, yeah so... Or, so Because it's not agreed upon, it's not universally understood. And and she says it's religious then— and we know that religion is not uniform across all culture and times and yeah, places. Yeah, so how then,
1: if that being the case, mm-hmm. not everybody observes it the same way, mm-hmm. and it's religious, and religion is not uniform over all cultures and time and places. So how do you come off saying, yeah. hey, you should be held accountable for all of this? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's right. For her and for many, the existence of contrary approaches means that no approach is authoritative. Mm-hmm. But I said to her and I, and I say to our, our audience that all reality is inherently religious mm-hmm. because all people have a God consciousness and there are universal obligations that flow from that, including the protection of life, heterosexuality. And marriage. These are these are first principles, I told her, mm-hmm. upon which all societies are built and and they are assumed and you now this is something to, to contemplate. We won't have time to go into all of it a year. But think about this. They are assumed, these foundational first principles are assumed in the myriad, what I call to her as digressions that exist out there, digressions of the way you approach life and the way you approach marriage and so on. I mean, there are those differences, but I'm calling them digressions. Now, I said to her, I'm refraining from calling them perversions because I'm not trying to be pejorative, but you could say that too. It's a distortion. Technically accurate. You're calling them distortions. That's right and i also pointed out to her that these things predate the jewish or christian lens mm-hmm. technically yes they're described in the opening chapters of genesis life and marriage and heterosexuality but but remember genesis is only written after the di- the digressions
0: mm-hmm.
1: made explanation necessary in other words there was no in 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 the beginning there was no explanation needed this was inherent in nature this is the way it, this is the way it was mm-hmm. uh, you know just think about it for a second when cain murders abel mm-hmm. that is just you, you read the narrative and that is just assumed to be wrong mm-hmm. You know, and God comes and says, Cain, what have you done? There's no parenthetical, and this was known to be wrong. <laughs> no, none of that. And yeah. there's no seminar that takes place on, right. you know, right. on the Ten Commandments, which hadn't been given right. yet and aren't going to be given till thousands of years later. So it's just it's, you don't take human life. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's in nature, it's in creation, and it was understood uh, immediately. So the fact that life and sexuality and marriage have been distorted Over time and place doesn't negate their binding authority. Yeah, murder was wrong before it ever became a part of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, like we said with with Cain and Abel, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and you know you have even even before Moses gives the Ten Commandments in about fifteen hundred B.C., before that you have Hammurabi, you know, Mm -hmm. in his code of law, Babylonian code of laws, and it has very similar kinds of things. Why? Because these are universal. Because they go back to creation. And sexuality and marriage are likewise laws of nature that are necessary to explain their deviations. In other words, you start with life and its protection, and cultures in which uh, that does not occur are what I'm calling digressions, their deviations, their distortions. You start with common human sexuality before you see distortions of it historically. So it seems important to establish
0: that natural law precedes laws that we make, mm. and those laws then have priority uh, over other laws that we enact. It should be consistent with those first principles. Yeah. When we make a law, it should be in concert with
1: the fundamental correct. universal natural law. That's correct. And that by its very nature, natural law mm. <laughs> it precedes mm-hmm. the, th- the laws that we, that we make. Now, for those interested in reading more about this, I recommend a book in our, our resource center. So, for those who have access to our resource center or on Amazon, it's called "In the Beginning," uh, "In the Beginning God: colon, A Fresh Look at the Case for Original Monotheism," mm. <laughs> and it's uh, written by Winfried uh, Corduan, C O R D U A N. And I did a class uh, on world religions. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done that a couple of times here. And I recommended, that. I recommended that book because that original monotheism idea is something that is, yes, at the heart of what I'm saying here. That you have a God consciousness because you have a God mm-hmm. who created. And, and then that God who created now, we are all related to, aware of. And he is the one who has given them these laws in naturally, in and at creation, Mm -hmm. and in our conscience. So, kind of built into us. Built in, inherent to us. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said, as people, going back to the beginning of today, Mm -hmm. I don't mind imposing on people Mm -hmm. things that they should be doing Mm -hmm. because they're people. That we we believe
0: probably resonate at some level with every human anyways because of the image of God in them. Yeah. You you might be planning to talk about this uh, later in the discussion but I thought about as you were describing uh, natural law preceding mm-hmm. human laws mm-hmm. and that we're really we're really trying to codify those things. Yes. So we say we recognize there are distortions of natural mm-hmm. law happening because mm-hmm. the image of God in us is being distorted right. by sin. Right. So then we're trying to recapture in our codification of law human law mm-hmm. what we all in our hearts know to be natural law or at some level in our being
1: we still know those natural laws at some level as you say mm-hmm. sometimes we have to go kind of deep into the levels because mm-hmm. things are not the way they were originally made yeah so there's the fall and so things are distorted that's why we have the digressions that we we yeah. have mm-hmm. I mentioned this dialogue that I had by email with this, this lady and the kind dialogue that I had with her. And then the day that Roe, so it'll be yesterday when our folks write this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Roe was decided and she, she had originally written to me to ask about my position on abortion, right? Yeah. And then Roe is, is overturned. And she wrote to me. And now the kind tone changed. Hmm. Yeah, it did change, and I wrote back in a kind tone and said, "Hey, uh, let's let's not let's not go with uh, you know the personal attacks here. Yeah, yeah, no need to do that. But it does raise a question: Why did that happen? I mean, mm-hmm. it happened very quickly. Now she was clearly upset over Roe being overturned. I can't prove this, but I think part of it is I was saying to her things like we're saying here, and I think that resonates at a deep level. Mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's a guilt there that that human beings struggle with mm-hmm. because we are human. We have we know this. Then, when somebody brings it up and points it out and says we're gonna, we, we need to be held accountable to it, mm-hmm. but we don't want to be, <laughs> then it creates some real friction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we on our side still just need to be kind about it and all of that. But don't be surprised if that happens, and that's sure. what happened in this case. Mm-hmm. So, in that book, original monotheism, Cordovan. Um, uh, his case show he makes the case that other forms of religious experience are as i've said digressions from that which is natural that which is original thus the original monotheism since these are natural they've been around as long as nature that is they go back to creation and being made in the image of god and having a godward orientation that understands naturally that human life is sacred that sex is hetero that marriage then is is also. So when the basis of our imposition on others, back to the question now, when should we, under what circumstances should we feel comfortable imposing? When the basis of that imposition is natural law, I'm quite comfortable codifying it mm-hmm. as all people have access to it and are to follow it. It begins with the sacredness of life. Yeah, but as you said
0: Life and sex and marriage are all inherently religious mm-hmm. because all of life is connected to God. Yeah. And, and Paul says pretty much this exact yes. thing in Romans 1 eight through 32. We know uh, uh, we know God, and yet we pervert what we know of him and his standards, including, and he gets specific about sexuality. Correct. So, and then in chapter uh, 2, verses 14 and 15, our conscience reflects the existence of natural law. Yeah. So if we're going to impose those standards regarding life and that's connected to our knowledge of God who created the standards, then why should we not require allegiance
1: to God in all of our Mm. laws? And some of our Christian brothers suggest Mm, this. Yes, yes. No, it's an excellent question. What, but with protection of life and sexuality and marriage, we're regulating behavior, not not belief.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I, we, as we talked in preparation for this uh-huh. episode, I, I immediately thought when that came up, uh, yeah. but all of our behaviors based true, on belief. True, true. Right? Good
1: point, as always. But for legal purposes, I don't need your agreement with the belief that underlies it mm. just to ensure that you behave in a way consistent with it. Mm. That's what law... You know, you don't have to agree ideologically with the law you simply have to obey it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for here and i don't mind that because i do know at some level you're ha- you're having as a human being you're having to struggle yeah. with this the fact that you distort it that you digress from it that all of that i don't have to have all of that i just i just need you to to do it and i'm and i'm okay with forcing or imposing it upon mm-hmm. you because it's something you have access to and you were made to to obey now yes you should believe it because it's general revelation, and so you're accountable to believe it. But if you don't, that's on you. And I want to, yes, as a Christian, see you converted, but in the meantime, I have no trouble imposing on you what you should agree to do Mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And
0: as you said earlier, every law is imposing something on somebody. If they didn't vote for the law, if they wouldn't have sided with that side of it, then the passing of it is an imposition on them Mm -hmm. of something they didn't agree to. Mm -hmm. So so why these things... In particular mm-hmm. things like you've mentioned the uh, issue of life mm-hmm. sexuality marriage why are those the things that are
1: universal is that an arbitrary list hmm. or what, what well into I'm, that? I'm sure it's an incomplete list you know so people who spend a lot of time thinking about natural law and lots of people over centuries have done that you know would have more things to add mm-hmm. uh, so it's an incomplete list but it's definitely not arbitrary What those all have in common is that they are natural they're they're rooted in creation and they are so because a good god has made a good world and desires good things for his his creatures that what these all have in common is that they're good and that results in something extremely important for us to understand i was at a pastor's conference last week in chicago and I was privileged to spend some time with a, a fellow pastor who had did had done some writing on transgenderism. He wrote in a theological journal a very good article. And we were talking about that, and uh, he kept using the phrase, a human flourishing. And it's a phrase that I've been attracted to for a while. I don't know who coined it. I know Tim Keller uses it a lot. Mm. Uh, but others, and he was using. I actually that. came across it initially in
0: some atheist writings. You know, okay. like Sam Harris, who okay. wrote the Moral Landscape okay. and a lot on morality, okay. trying to trying to arrive at an objective standard okay. of morality from okay. an atheist perspective. Okay, that's uh, the the flourishing of sentient
1: beings. Is okay, what he talks okay. about yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's attractive to me because we're talking about a good from a good, but from a good God. Mm-hmm. which is what makes this universal then and, and natural and rooted in creation. That, that's important, I think,
0: because—let um, me interject this— mm-hmm. when, when a, an atheist like Sam Harris proposes that as the mm-hmm. standard, my immediate question is flourishing as defined by whom? Exactly. Uh, but when you have—because it's just all of us down here. In yeah. his mind, it's just all of us yeah. down here with our differing right. opinions of that. Right. But if you actually have an author yes. of all of us, mm-hmm. somebody who we originated with— yeah. Well, that that person
1: knows what flourishing is because they defined it, they created it. That's right. The only reason we know about flourishing or care about flourishing is because someone cared about it before we existed. Right, right, (laughs) right, right. right. So these behaviors then that we're imposing are good for you. Mm -hmm. They're for human flourishing. God is good. His design is good. And we believers need to keep this in mind. My brother pastor that I was with last week, he... Had that emphasis, he presented his paper, and I'm very much appreciated. He said, "We really need to pound this home to our people, especially to our young people. We God is good. Mm-hmm. It's a fallen world; doesn't always look that way, but God is good, and what He says to do is good for human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And so, the reason we want to impose it is not because we suffer from phobias, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're a homophobe, mm-hmm. okay." That's the best you can do. All right, but that's, you know, throw the names out there and you, you're a homophobe. No, mm-hmm. it's not because we suffer from phobias. Look, if I didn't care about you, just go and do do whatever. You, I'm going to be fine, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be fine. Uh, and certainly, ultimately, I'm going to be fine uh, because of the relationship to God. Uh, but rather, the reason we emphasize this and the reason we're even willing to impose it is because you and others will suffer from deviant behavior, from
0: deviations from the norm. Mm-hmm. So back to something we kind of touched on just a second ago then. So that person will say, well, then who are mm-hmm. you to tell me what's good
1: yeah. for me? And, and I retort, who do you have to be? Remind me who you have mm-hmm. to be. In the marketplace of ideas, mm-hmm. in a democracy with free speech, and people get to vote for, people with positions that they choose, remind me who it is you have to be. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so I asked that question, one. And then I also point out that all law is really someone's version of morality. Mm-hmm. You know, So often you'll hear now as related to the abortion question, who are you to tell me what I'm to do with my own body? And I've used this illustration before in the past. You know, Imagine you're going along and you get pulled over by a cop and the cop comes up and says, you know, do you realize what you've done? And you say, no. And he says, there's a stop sign back there. And you went through it. And you said, okay, what's the problem with that? And he says, well, you know, it says stop on it. And it seems arbitrary it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I say, so you're telling me that every time I see one of those octagonal red signs with white lettering that says stop, I'm to now take my foot off of the gas and I'm to put it onto the, the brake. So one why do you have a stop sign there? And he, he might say somebody might get killed. And my response is, well, who are you to cram your morality down my throat? Okay, <laughs> I don't care if anybody gets killed. And now you're telling me I've got to take my foot off the accelerator and put it on the... So who are you to tell me what I'm to do with my own body? Now, it's, you know, it's a silly illustration that none of us would do, but we don't think about it very often. We don't think about the fact that... You know, our laws are rooted in we don't want anybody to get hurt. We don't want anybody to get mm-hmm. get killed. And so we have things like stop signs. And we're willing to tell you what you have to do in order to keep that from happening. All law does that. So I'm seeking then to place reasonable, natural law parameters over when we do it, rather than mm-hmm. it just being, I want to impose everything that I believe you should do on you. yeah I want you to have freedom. And I want you to be able to choose within certain parameters to live your life the way you want to. Uh, But there are certain things, because they're rooted in natural law, that you don't have the right to violate. I don't expect all or most to agree with everything that we do, Mm -hmm. like, like you said. But I have no reservation about doing it in these instances since it's part of natural law under which we all exist. Yeah, and like like you said, we're not trying to
0: just be in everybody's business, but we truly believe these things are fundamental principles of the world God made. That's right. And it's for the best of of the individuals in it in our society. So since it is connected, though, with God, the creator, the one who gave the natural law, then people are going to see it as religious, uh, you know, and as as, us us religious people imposing Mm. our religion on them and resent it. Mm. So it means we need to try to have the highest degree of moral integrity that we can before we go mm, about absolutely. doing this, right? Absolutely. We've, we've talked about this yes. uh, time and time again in recent years and yeah. since we've been doing this podcast. We, we don't have to be sinless, of course, but uh, we have to, you know, and, and for example, we don't have to personally adopt a child just to say that abortion is wrong. Which sometimes people say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone will say, well, who, well, you know, unless you're going to, how many kids have you adopted? Yes. Well, you can't. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't make some demand somebody tell us how many, you know, criminals they've put away or yeah. I'm, that's yeah. off the top of my yeah. head before they can say exactly. first degree murder is wrong. Correct. That's right. <laughs> you know, there's no condition. It's wrong. Right. It's wrong. That's right. Um, so. We certainly should, though, seek to ensure that we don't come off as inconsistent in our morality. Mm -hmm. You know, we're telling people there are these natural laws. Mm -hmm. There are these things that are inherently wrong and everybody should know it. Mm -hmm. Especially so when we're perceived as we're willing to impose it on you and make your life more difficult, we need to put our money where our mouth is when it comes to our own uh, way of living. And we say this
1: is right, this is wrong. Our behavior should line up with it. Well, as you said, that's why the two of us have labored so hard over the last few years, mm-hmm. then, especially to distance ourselves and our church from the most recent conservative political expression, which mm. looks to the culture to be very, very inconsistent mm-hmm. and We've anticipated a day like this to come, mm-hmm. okay, where now it's going to explode on the national scene that our imposition is really big on millions of people who really are angry about it and mm-hmm. are going to be angry about it no no matter what. I understand that. But, but I don't want to add to that anger. We don't reason. have
0: to give them teeth to their right. criticisms. Exactly,
1: exactly. So I just this week met with our local state representative mm-hmm. in in Lansing at his request, and he expressed his dismay and his bewilderment that he's not a conservative. This guy's a, this guy's a liberal, okay? And he, but he's bewildered. He goes, "Tell me what's what's going on with conservative Christians that you guys could be so enthusiastically supportive of a of a president a former president whose lifestyle and behavior is so opposite Christian behavior, and that comes off to him." And to them, as if we'll align with anyone to win, that the ends justify the means that all's fair in war and politics. Now, I just want to hasten to remind folks that, look, we and, and neither of us have voted for Democrats. We are, we're never going to vote for the Democrats. I voted for Trump in 2016. Couldn't quite pull it off for myself in 2020. I had to vote for a third party. But, uh, you know, we're not saying you have to vote for a liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, and even if you voted for Trump in both elections our mantra has been vote don't promote yeah, and i hasten to add he would have never been the candidate in 2016
0: mm-hmm. had so many evangelicals not been behind mm-hmm. him i don't
1: think so yeah. yeah and and so and why do we care about that we care about it because of what we're saying you got mm-hmm. guys like the state rep they're just saying i do not understand you guys aligning mm-hmm. yourself that way so when things like this happen we need the highest degree of credibility that we can we can mm-hmm. get so don't do anything to harm that
0: yeah. Now, uh, in contrast, though, and I just had somebody say this to me on Twitter today, mm. that with the overturning of Roe, now, it, this vindicates all the allegiance mm. to President Trump mm. appointed. Mm. You know, He appointed these judges. He got the decision, got it done. Yeah. You know, Reagan couldn't do it. Bush couldn't uh. do it. These were the exact words mm. <laughs> said to me. Uh, but I saw a guy tweet yesterday that we could have gotten just the same judges with another conservative president. Who was, in his words, a much more honorable person hmm. of character in the White House? So, hmm. couldn't we have elected a noble yeah. conservative to do this thing? And he, you know, he said this, of course, could have been accomplished uh, uh, if if we had done that, and then we wouldn't we wouldn't be uh, have any any uh, hesitancy in moving forward now with something yeah. like the overturning of Roe and being yeah. able to. To have the moral authority when we moral ground. yeah, yeah, Yeah. but
1: we've seeded that a bit, Mm -hmm. and and that's what's that. That's yeah. I'm afraid of that. So there's some teeth then to the accusation when he gets thrown back. Yeah. However, uh, let's make clear because I know we talk about this. I know we agree. We're both thankful, very thankful, that President Trump appointed justices who voted Mm -hmm. to overturn Roe. Mm -hmm. And here it is. It happened, and we should acknowledge, and we do acknowledge that that is a promise kept. Yeah. And, not, and we all know politicians break their promises, right? So that was a promise kept. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's brought about a result that other Republican presidents could not, could not achieve. So I truly, and I know you do, we commend that and we're thankful for it. But what that tweeter mm-hmm. and you and I are saying is don't lose sight of the fact that this may well have happened for just about any of the nominees in mm-hmm. 16, I just remind folks who say, well, you know, Trump got it done. He did. Give, give credit where credit's due. But I have pointed out that what you don't think about, don't remember, is that he had a couple of things that the other presidents did not have. He had a Republican Senate. You have to have the Senate to confirm these nominees. And if you don't have the Senate confirm,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and he not only had the Senate. He had in the last few years. It was twenty. Now don't hold me. Twenty fourteen. Don't hold me that for sure. But just mm-hmm. within the last few years, mm-hmm. that the the nu- so called nuclear option happened in the Senate, which meant you don't need sixty votes. You only need fifty one votes. Uh, it used to be that the filibuster and you needed sixty votes. Mm-hmm. You could filibuster a nominee.
0: Mm -hmm. So you
1: had to have an overwhelming majority of 60, at least, in order to get—well, that's no longer the case. Trump has Mm -hmm. that luxury that George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush didn't have, Ronald Reagan didn't have, Mm -hmm. that the nuclear option happened. You just need 51 votes, and you had a Republican Senate to do it. And he had a second thing. He had the Federalist Society. Mm -hmm. And that that group has matured such that they have built a deep bench of conservative justices, people who have experience on the federal bench— and they gave to the Trump campaign in 2016 a list mm-hmm. of about 25 judges. Now, again, give credit to the Trump campaign. They, mm. they won. They took that list, and they said, we're going to pick people off of this list. Yeah. And they did that. Yeah. So that's good. I'm just saying other presidents prior to that didn't have all of that. Right, right.
0: So another way beyond being careful about our political alliances, that we can assure that we have maximum credibility is by
1: now serving those who are affected Mm. by our imposition of law. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we refer to a lot of times as mercy ministries. And Mm -hmm. I think, and in anticipation of Roe being overturned at our church, we've Mm -hmm. talked Mm -hmm. a good bit about mercy ministries, talked about the establishment uh, of a crisis pregnancy center, talked about uh, trying to help make adoption more affordable by, as a church, helping people in our church Mm -hmm. with funding to to do adoption because those are the kinds of things over the next years and decades now that are going to be sorely needed.
0: Yeah. Well, this is very timely, Mm. hopefully helpful discussion uh, to you as you listen, as you watch. And uh, we try to make topics, we, two pastors talking about Supreme Court here, (laughs) uh, we try to make topics that are relevant, but tie in in important ways to our lives and uh, what we understand about God from his word. So hope this is helpful to you. We try to produce these every week, uh, release them on Saturdays at 2 p.m. If you don't already, why don't you hit the subscribe button to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you know when the new episodes come out. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at or text it to us at 9700.